0: moments from this thought. It's not too much trouble. It's not too much trouble. If you would one more time lift your hands toward heaven and let's pray that the word of God would be received in this place today. Come on in the name of Jesus. Lord I need your help today God I am a feeble vessel of clay. I need your anointing to come down touch me Touch this congregation today to hear your word. Let our hearts be open. God, let us be receptive to your word. Let your word speak to us today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Before you're seated, put your hands together. Give God a thunderous hand clap of praise today. Hallelujah. You may be seated. It's been over 6 years ago that my mother passed away at an untimely age of 66. But one thing that she always would say to us is if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And that still applies to all of us in this room. If something is worth doing, it's worth doing right. Now this doesn't only apply in the natural sense with your job, with your family, with your house, uh, but it also applies in the spiritual world. It is important that we do things right. It is important that we do things according to the Word of God. If you're going to talk about salvation, you better get it right. You better find it from the Word of God. It's important that when we do things, we do them right. And when we worship God, we worship Him in the right way. I'm reminded of what God does responded to Cain's sacrifice that was not done correctly. Genesis chapter 4, God speaks to Cain and he says, Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? Why is your face fallen? The Lord said, You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. God was encouraging Cain. Now listen, if he would have just listened to the word of God and had changed a few things and gotten it right, God would have blessed him, and he would have favored him, and he would have accepted his sacrifice. It wasn't, it wasn't because God was the problem. The problem was Cain. The problem was the man. And I'm telling you today that God is still encouraging all of us in this room to get it right. If you've tried to bring God a sacrifice that wasn't right. Maybe you had aught against your brother. Maybe you were in a fight with someone else and you come to church. I'm telling you, get it right and God will receive your sacrifice. It took nine chapters in the book of Exodus to thoroughly explain and instruct Moses and the people concerning the building of the tabernacle. Now think with me for a moment. It took hundreds of words, chapters in your Bible, just for God to explain explicitly how the tabernacle would be built and how they would worship and the instruments that would be in the tabernacle. Why? Because God is a God of detail, God is a God of structure, and He expects for us to get it right. Now, I realize what I'm preaching today runs contrary to most of of the religious world. You can come however you are, you can leave however you want to leave, you can live however you want to live, and you can just patty cake for Jesus on Sunday and live like the devil on Monday. But I'm here to tell you that that's contrary to the word of God. If you want to live for God, you've got to do it right. And the lie of the enemy is that it's too much trouble to do it right. It's just too hard. It takes too much time, it's too difficult to do it right. But I'm here to preach on this beautiful Sunday morning and tell you it is not too much trouble to get it right. Let's get a little background information today to our text. Jeroboam was an Ephraimite. He first came to prominence as an official of Solomon's royal administration. The man Jeroboam was very able. He was capable. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. Jeroboam lifted up his hand, or he rebelled against Solomon. This passage is somewhat difficult to fully understand. Uh, Solomon had built up the ramparts of the city walls, and he had closed in the gaps uh, of the walls of the city. Scholars believe that Maybe one of those gaps could have been a passageway that many had used to come into the city of Jerusalem to worship. In fact, the Ephraimites, which lived in close proximity to Jerusalem, could have been the ones who were affected by the closure the most. And so Jeroboam lifted up his hand. And as a result of this altercation... Jeroboam, this skillful, uh, capable administrator for Solomon, left the city of Jerusalem. And on the road, he meets a prophet whose name is Ahijah. And Ahijah was wearing a brand new robe. And they had this exchange on the road from Jerusalem. And while the two men, Ahijah, And Jeroboam were alone. Ahijah takes his cloak, his robe, and he tears it into 12 pieces. And he gives Jeroboam of Israel because of Solomon's disobedience and the idolatry with which Solomon had brought to Jerusalem. And they have forsaken me and worshipped Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites. And they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and keeping my statutes and my rules, as David his father did. And and so, uh, because of the idolatry, because of... Of, of the neglect of spiritual things because Solomon did not do it right. Jeroboam would receive 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, of course, uh, Solomon feels threatened and so he, he decides that it's time to eliminate Jeroboam and, and Jeroboam is able to escape Uh, into Egypt and he finds refuge there with King Shishak of Egypt. He stays in Egypt until Solomon dies. And upon Solomon's death, the people of the northern tribes, they summon Jeroboam back to Israel to help lead in the presentation of the grievances to Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. He was the king over Israel. But you have to understand today that that Rehoboam was caught in this uh, this place. The idolatry of his his father and the legacy of his grandfather and the future of the kingdom, kingdom was all weighing upon him. And so... Rehoboam is there and, and he's in a quandary, so to speak, and, and he's, he's trying to, to figure out how to proceed and, and how to squelch the rebellion of Jer- Jeroboam and, and how, to, how to lead Israel as a united front. And so he, he calls in the aged advisors. He calls in the old men. He calls the experienced advisors to the king, and, and he begins to ask them what, what they think he should do, and, and he completely dismisses and ignores the words of these aged men. He dismisses the grievances of the people, and instead of lifting some of the burden, understand Solomon had put a great burden on the people to build the temple and to build the structures all around Jerusalem and the, and the, and the idol temples and, and the palaces. And, and he had put a great burden, a, a great tax upon the people. And, and instead of lifting those burdens off the backs of the people, Rehoboam taxes them more heavily. Instead, Rehoboam listened to the voices of the men with whom he had grown up. He listened to his running buddies. He listened to the men that were his peers instead of listening to the voices of experienced men. Now that's a message all on its own today. But I'm thankful, Brother Copeland, Pastor Copeland, that you have men of God in your life, such as your father, my father, other men that are experienced that you're willing to listen to today. We would all do well today to listen to our elders. Instead of dismissing them, it's time to listen to them. His younger advisors, they told Rehoboam, they said, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Now that doesn't sound like much to us, but it must have been something... Terrible when Rehoboam said that to those people. He said, my father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. And as a result of this unbearable burden of tyranny, Israel crowns Jeroboam king over the northern kingdom. And he reigns over the ten tribes of Israel God, listen to this, God set Jeroboam on the throne. But he was too insecure to trust in the hand of the Lord. When we come to the first few verses uh, preceding our, our text today, Jeroboam thought to himself, unless I am careful, the kingdom will return to the dynasty of David. When these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and they will make him their king instead of me. So on the advice of his counselors, the king made two golden calves. And he said to the people, he he, he spoke to their base nature. He said, it's too much trouble. For you to go back to Jerusalem. Look Israel. I have made you these gods. That have brought you out of Egypt. And he placed these calf idols. In Bethel and in Dan. At either ends. Of the kingdom of Israel. Jeroboam not only changed the the place of worship. From from Jerusalem to Dan and Bethel, but he also substituted golden calves in place of worship to the true God of Israel. He didn't only change the place of worship, he also added a new priesthood. Instead of the, the, the priests that who were consecrated by God, he adds a new priesthood who is more favorable to his changes. And then he goes even further, and Jeroboam creates his own festivals, and, and they take the place of the Jewish festivals, the festival of booths. And his sin in setting up the golden calves for worship was the defining moment in the history of of the northern kingdom of Israel, and it ultimately led the way for Israel's complete demise. Now understand today that Jeroboam is the fifth most mentioned king in your Bible. David, Saul, Solomon, and Hezekiah, and then Jeroboam. But his notoriety was infamously linked to disobedience and idolatry. And it was all hinging on the idea that it's just too much trouble to worship God in Jerusalem. Today we sit in this place and my goodness it's completely full. And thank God you're going to build a new sanctuary but the enemy would like to tell every person sitting on these pews today, those listening online today, he would like to tell you that it's too much trouble for you to come to church. It's just too much trouble to come back to church tonight. It's too much trouble to come to church I heard one man was considering eliminating some of his services because he said it's just so much work, it's so much preparation, so much pressure to get sermons and to hear the word of God and and to find out the direction for uh, for a service and so he's considering eliminating some services because it just seems to be too much work and too much trouble and i tell you today it's an age old deception of the enemy from genesis until now the father of lies has been doing his best to convince humanity that it's too much trouble to serve god it's too much trouble You know what the enemy would like to tell you? It's too much trouble to build a new sanctuary. It's too much trouble to expand this campus. It's too much trouble to serve as an usher, as a greeter, as a hostess. It's too much trouble to give my tithes and my offerings. It's too much trouble to come in the church and lift my hands, clap my hands, stomp my feet. It's too much trouble to worship it's too much trouble to come to church three times a week and plus come to daily prayer it's too much trouble to live for God this is the spirit that was on Naaman the Syrian captain when he was told you got to go wash in the river Jordan seven times Oh, it's just too much trouble. It's too much trouble to get my healing from, from doing it. Surely there's another way. Surely there's a better way. Surely there's something better to do. But that, that little servant told him, said, no, 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 no. This is the only way. And if the prophet had told you something hard, you would have tried to do it. And sometimes it's the same for all of us in this room. It can be so simple. It's so simple to just read Acts 2.38 and understand that we must repent of our sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of our sins. And receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost by speaking in other tongues that just seems too much trouble too extreme, too easy. But I'm telling you today, it's not too much trouble. It's not too much trouble to live for God. It's not too much trouble to serve God. We reject the lie of Jeroboam. It's not too much trouble to come to church on a Sunday. It's not too much trouble to build a new sanctuary. It's not too much trouble to be a server. It's not too much trouble to be a a greeter, an usher, a Sunday school teacher. I speak to the saints of this church. It's not too much trouble for you to give your tithe and to give your offering. I know what the devil says all the preachers are worried about is money but in case you haven't figured out it takes money to turn the lights on it takes money to have some air conditioning in the building it takes money to get you out of a cramped situation and put you in a new sanctuary and it's not too much trouble it'll never be too much trouble to do great things for God think of where he brought me from, when I think about the sin-filled life, when I think about my past and where I was and where I am today, it is not too much trouble to worship God. be too much trouble. Oh, I'm going to get right down where the where you're living today. When they ask you to serve in the fellowship hall, it's not too much trouble. When the pastor asks you to come and fast and pray, it's not too much trouble. When they send out the the invite to be in the choir, it's not too much trouble. When they say we're going to do outreach, it's not too much trouble. It'll never be too much trouble. Living for God is not too much trouble. We feel like the psalmist... He said, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? What should I render? What should I give back to the Lord for all of his benefits? That's the way we feel today. It's not about how little we can give. (laughs) It's not about how how small it is. But it's, oh, oh God when I think of what you've done for me, what can I render back to you? Once during the harvest, when David was in the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in Rephium. And the three who were among the thirty an elite fighting group of David's. They went down to meet him there and David was staying in the stronghold at the time and the Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. And David just longingly said, "Oh! that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. And those three mighty men heard the longing request of their captain, David. And they broke through the camp of the Philistines. They went behind enemy lines and they drew out water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and they carry it back to David. And David receives that water. The Bible tells us instead of drinking it and being grateful for it, David pours that water out on the ground. And he poured it, the Bible says he poured it out to the Lord. He said, I, I, I can't do this. I can't drink this water. It's equivalent to the blood of men who have risked their lives by going behind the Philistines' line. And so he refused to drink the water. And such were the exploits of these three mighty warriors. And I've often thought, as I've read this story from First or 2 Samuel chapter 23, I've often thought how inconsiderate it was for David to pour out the water that the men had brought to him. I mean, look at the trouble that these men went to to get you water that you wanted, David. I mean, they risked their very lives. They put their lives on the line so you could have some water. You know, I've said it before, but a lot of times when we become nostalgic for things from our past or from yesteryear, a lot of times in our mind it's a lot better than it really was. And that could have even been the case with this water. Who knows how good it tasted. But to David in that moment, he had a longing for that water, and these men went to the trouble to get the water for David, only for him to pour it out on the ground. I mean, we went to a lot of trouble to get some water. And although it may not show up on the lists of the most valuable commodities, Water is the most valuable commodity on planet Earth. You do know that without water, wheat, corn, barley, rice, soy, none of these things would exist. And actually, we couldn't exist on Earth without water. Water is precious. Water is sacred. Water is essential Think about it with me. Astronomers and scientists, when they are looking at other planets such as Mars, they're not not looking to see if gold is there. They're not looking to see if platinum or, or whatever is there. They are looking to see if water exists or did exist on a planet because water is the source of life. And what David did that day was an act of sacrifice. He poured out something for which he longed and for which men risked their lives. Why? Because it was too precious in that moment to drink it. And these three warriors, they didn't get upset at David. They weren't offended at David that he poured it out. We don't read in the text of 2 Samuel 23, where these men told David, you've wasted our sacrifice. You've wasted what we've given to you. If anything, the spirit of these three mighty men was, it's not too much trouble to bring our king whatever he desires. And I want to tell you today, it will never be too much trouble to bring our king whatever he desires. Whether we think he he uses it the way it should be used or not, when you have this attitude that it's not too much trouble and you have this willing spirit, you'll just say, oh God, do whatever you want to do with it. Do whatever you want to do with me. Do whatever you want to do. It's not too much trouble. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me tell you today only Judas's worry about wasting things on Jesus. I said, only Judas's worry about wasting things on Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we could have given this oil. We could have taken this oil and sold it and given it the proceeds to the poor. Only Judas' worry about wasting things. Understand, it's not too much trouble to praise God. It's not too much trouble to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the music today. It's not too much trouble to sing to the Lord. It's not too much trouble to dance in his presence. Oh, hallelujah. I'm reminded of the people in your New Testament, the Gospels that received miracles from Jesus. They had this attitude. The little woman with the issue of blood Twelve long years, she spent all she had. She went to doctor to doctor, trying to get a cure. She never grew better. She got worse. And when she heard Jesus was coming to town, the Bible tells us she began to press her way through the crowd. They were kicking. No doubt they were stepping on her, but it didn't matter to her. It wasn't too much trouble. Whatever I've got to do to get a hold of Jesus will never be too much trouble. I'm reminded of the four friends of that lame man. Jesus was in that house. They couldn't get him in the house, there were too many people, it was too crowded. They said, well, what are we going to do? Well, most of us, we'd say, well, there's no way. It's too full. Can't get in. But no, they went to the top of the house. They began to take the tiles off the roof of that house. They made a hole. They lowered that man down into the midst of Jesus. And you know why Jesus touched him? Because of the faith of those four men that said it's not too much trouble for our friend to get what he needs. Hey, brothers and sisters, guests that have joined us today, it will never be too much trouble to receive what we need from Jesus. If you've got to turn your back on friends... Family, if you got to lay some things down, not go to some places, not say some of the things you used to say, do the things you used to do, it's not too much trouble to receive peace and contentment and joy and happiness. Stand with me today. It will never be too much. Have a relationship with Jesus. Oh, I know the enemy will try to tell you. Coming down to the front today, lifting your hand—it's just—it's awkward. It's too much trouble. People may—they may look at you funny. They may pray with you. They may shake you. That's scary. That's too much trouble. It doesn't—it doesn't have to take all that. I'm going to tell you today, when you really need something from God, when you need a life change, when you've tried everything on your own and nothing has worked, I want to tell you it's not too much trouble to come to this front. Lift your hands, repent of your sins, and let God fill you with His Spirit today. Come on all over this house, lift your hands, lift your voices. I'm opening these altars today. Come to this front and tell God again, it's not too much trouble to worship you. It's not too much trouble to give you praise. It's not too much trouble. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, come on, lift your hands. Raise your voice. Come on, let God hear you. Come on, let him hear the desperation, the sincerity of your voice. It's not too much trouble.